Hi, I'm Christy. Welcome to my living room. You can leave your shoes on, that's fine. Um, <laughs> it's really good to uh, be able to do this for you today. Um, I miss having people in my house. This is not real. You are not really here, but I can pretend. <laughs> um, I miss having you in my home. I miss going to your house. I miss having dinner together. And uh, I have gone back to this book, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. It's a book that we read a little while ago because I miss eating together. And basically what I wanna try and do today is explore why eating together is so important for us, why Jesus thought it was important, um, and what we can learn from Jesus um, in order to get back into the swing of things. I feel like I'm not even sure how to do it anymore. <laughs> so I am in a place where I wanna relearn what it means to be hospitable and to share a table with people. Even me and Charles eating together these days in this COVID world, we often don't eat at the table, I'm ashamed to say. Some Often we're in our comfies already and we're just on the sofa and that's just how it is. But that's a, a familiar picture really, even um, pre-pandemic. There was some research done by the Social Issues Research Centre in 2018 and they found that uh, the average UK dinner lasted just 21 minutes and on 55% of those times there was a screen present, whether that's an iPad to keep the kids quiet or everyone's watching telly or you're scrolling through social media, whatever, 55% of the time during a 21 minute dinner. And that's where we're at right now. You know, we take food and we take eating together a bit for granted, I think. Um, one in every sort of four pounds spent on groceries in the UK goes to Tesco. And if, if Tesco were a, a world economy, if Tesco were a country, they would be about 70th on the list, 71st in the list. They'd have a bigger um, economy, bigger GDP than Ghana, Uruguay, um, Bulgaria, Croatia, yeah the list would go on for about another 140 or so <laughs> countries. Um, I think we, we sort of take the fact that we have food a bit for, for granted and we've lost sight uh, of something of God as our provider. I want to thank you all for praying for me last month and I particularly want to thank Amy Johnny who prayed for me that I would be like the boy who shared his lunch <laughs> and so I was inspired by that and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 9 and we're going to read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we've only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. 
They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So that is Jesus feeding the 5,000. That is some story. Five loaves, two fish. Someone sharing their lunch shared it with 5,000 people. Amazing. Now we read that from Luke, but actually you could read that in Matthew, Mark, or John. You could actually read it in all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Now, I can only see two other big stories where that happens. Jesus' baptism and the Easter story. Jesus' betrayal, trial, death and resurrection. They're the only two other stories that you can find across all four Gospels. So there must be something quite important about this moment, about this story. So what does it say about God? What does it say about Jesus? I think it's there for a couple of reasons. I think it shows Jesus to be something special. <laughs> I think it shows God as our provider and I think it serves as a mark of hope. I say symbol because really, if you think about it, it was a bit of a pointless miracle. It sort of goes along, it tells that old saying is true, doesn't it? Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. I mean, would the people really have died if they didn't have dinner? How long would it have taken them to get home? Maybe some of them might have, but probably a lot of them wouldn't have died. And then, it's not like they never got hungry again. You know, it says they ate until they were satisfied, but they would have then got hungry again, wouldn't they? And they would have needed to eat again. So why feed all those people? Well, I think it shows Jesus to be something special. In that time, there would have been two people they might have thought of when they see someone with lots and lots of bread. The first one is Moses. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery and into the wilderness. And one of the things when they were wandering was God sent manna from heaven. He spent a, sent a special type of bread, this flatbread manna that was available as far as the eye could see. It, it covered the ground and you went out and, and got what you needed for that day. And this is what led to many people calling Jesus, is he another prophet? Is he, is he the next Elijah? So Jesus is something pretty special. I mean, it also serves to show that God is a great provider. In this sense, a very literal, <laughs> literal provider. There was no lunch, and then there was God, and there was lunch. <laughs> and the, the third thing it does is it is a symbol of the hope that we have. In Isaiah 25, we can read about a great banquet. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Jesus has welcomed the crowds. He doesn't know who they are. Could be anyone, but he's welcomed the crowds and he's provided. He is playing that role of the great host at the banquet, the messianic banquet, that um, little section in Isaiah is often referred to as Jesus as the host of the banquet at the end of the ages when there'll be no more tears. The tears will be 
wiped away and death will be swallowed up forever. Jesus is pointing to himself as the one who will claim victory over death. He died on the cross and he rose again. And this is the hope that we have. You know, Pete Gregg often uses this phrase that we, we don't pray for people to be saved. We want people to get saved so they can pray. And I think there's a similar thing around eating together. I think when Jesus talks about, I come that you can have life and life to the full, maybe there's part of that is talking about full plates, full stomachs, full tables, full houses. Jesus knew how important meals were. I think he knew the, the power of, of eating together and the power of food. You see, something about food, ever since the beginning, we needed food. We needed to eat. In the beginning, God said to Adam, you can eat from every tree. Pick any tree, eat from every tree. He could have made Adam solar powered, like plants. Plants are solar powered. They get their energy from the sun, but he didn't. He wanted Adam to eat. And Jesus, when he came, he came eating and drinking. And we didn't just eat. It's not that we just eat leaves or we just eat grass or we eat pills or vitamins. We get to eat a whole range of foods and in a whole range of ways. Every culture on the planet cooks. They transform food physically or chemically with heat. And we have to cook. It's even physiological that we have to cook. If you ate a raw potato, you would only be able to extract and digest, you'd only be able to absorb about 32% of the calories of that potato. Whereas if you cooked it, you could extract 98% of the calories. So we need to eat, we need to cook. God has made food an important part, an essential part of our lives. But it's not just something to be had by ourselves. I mean, it can be, but I think we lose something of what it's about. Jesus knew that meals were important. Meals build community. Meals are our greatest ministry and meals bring hope. So meals as community. I mean, to be honest, meals are community in action, aren't they? They take us from the theory of community to practicing community. One thing that's great about meals is, is they're quite healing, I think. It's hard to sit around a table in silence. Things can't go unresolved around a dinner table, can they? It's pretty clear if there's a problem around a dinner table. We saw it in, in schools a few years ago when I was part of the, the cafe team, with the cafe that we ran in, in local schools. We had a little cafe team that would serve alongside us and help us out. They just wanted to, to be involved, so we said, yeah, why not? So we used to do cafe training, and this would usually be in a lunchtime, and one of us would have to make some sandwiches um, <laughs> in the morning and bring them in so that we could share lunch, and we would talk them through different things, different values that we felt were important to be a part of cafe, and trying to train them in the ways of service and hospitality and family. And there would be children that would sit opposite each other across the table and not share a sandwich, so we did rolls. 
So they, <laughs> but they would share a lunch across the table. And these were literally children who we would be told by teachers that they're not even allowed to be in the same room. They're not supposed to be in the same class just because of the flare up that is caused. But here they were eating a meal. Now there's nothing special about the meal in of itself except that we were aiming to bring God in the centre of that. A meal with Jesus at the centre. That makes the difference. That's what turns a posh dinner party into the messianic banquet, right? Jesus playing host. Us recognising Jesus' place as provider, as giver and as great host. And we know that too, don't we? We've got a great history of we used to have, before house church was house meals, remember? And you would sign up, yeah, I'll be there on, on Monday or I'll be there on Tuesday. I think we end up having them on all different nights of the week. But you said, yeah, I'll be there. And you came straight from whatever day you came from and you were there. And we love it as soup week. When we get to eat soup every night, the soup is irrelevant. <laughs> the soup serves as a reminder of um, simplicity. But what we love is just seeing each other every day and sitting across the table every single day and it just builds us up so much doesn't it then there's meals as as mission and as ministry in the research i mentioned earlier it said that one in five houses in the uk doesn't actually have a dining table and 14 percent of people would eat dinner alone every single day we've got no excuse not to be that welcome jesus welcomed the crowds we've got no excuse not to extend that welcome we were reminded by Matt last month, what do you have in your hand, God said to Moses. And what do we have in our hands? Do you have an oven? Do you have a fridge? Do you have a microwave? Do you have a table? What are the things that we have in our hand that we can share? I was struck by that last month that God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I have a stick. I've got a staff. There wasn't anything special about that staff. There wasn't even anything special about the fact that Moses had the staff. Moses was just a shepherd. That was just what he had. It's not like Moses was the only shepherd. Sometimes we hear those words and we think, right, what, what do I bring that no one else brings? But even if you have something that everyone else has, you can still use it. We can use our homes. We can use our time. We can use our calendars. We can use our fridges to serve one another and our community. This research also said that 49% of people see sharing a meal with someone as the most important way to get to know them. And 47% of people would like to do it more. What an invitation. And then in, in ministry with meals, serving is one thing, giving food is one thing, buying someone a sandwich that you walk past in the street, paying for the person behind you at a drive through they're all amazing acts of generosity. But doesn't it bring it to a whole nother level when you sit and eat with that person? Meals are the great leveller. They transform social relationships. The privatisation of hospitality makes us want to eat with people who are like us. Go to that nice restaurant. Be around people who are similar to me. A place where I can be seen, be known or be seen to be seen. <laughs> the model of Jesus is to see people and sit with people as equals, to share a table, to share a jug of water, to share stories, to share air, to share space. 
This ministry of hospitality is also dangerous because it's not something that you can clock off from. You can't leave it to the professionals or the leaders or the team or whoever. It's on us. It's on us, isn't it? Then we've got Meals as Hope. And I just want to read something from this book, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. And this is about how meals transform relationships. The marginal cease to be marginalised when they're included around a meal table. The lonely cease to be lonely. The alien ceases to be an alien. Meals can give us that sense of dignity, that sense of knowing that we are known. It's different to just be someone than to be at someone's table. You immediately go from being the, the other to being Fred, Peter, Susan, Shirley, Kevin. I, you know, you, you go from being someone out there to being someone in here. And probably someone in here and someone in here. Some of the struggles we can have with hospitality is sometimes sharing our stuff can be hard. <laughs> someone will break a plate, break a cup. There is collateral damage in hospitality, that is for sure. But what we can see from the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the disciples were like, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. You're like, that's for us. What's interesting about this story is it comes directly after a passage where Jesus has just sent out the 12 in twos and they've come back and they're telling Jesus everything that they've done. I reckon they're pretty hungry. Jesus sent them out, he said, don't take a staff, don't take a cloak, you know, receive hospitality, be received by people. I think probably they're coming back and feeling pretty hungry. And when they say to Jesus, you know, let's send away the crowd so they can get something to eat. I think probably what they're saying is, Jesus, can we go and get something to eat? Because <laughs> they're looking at their five loaves and their two fish and thinking, I haven't got enough. We haven't even got enough for us here. I'm thinking five loaves of bread between 12 people and that's all you've got. It's probably not that much to eat. But Jesus says to them, this is enough because I am enough. And Jesus turns it into how many basketfuls left over? Twelve. Do you think that's a joke? <laughs> I think that's a laugh, isn't it? I think Jesus is saying to the disciples, there's plenty, isn't there? There's plenty. And we can have this theology and this heart of leftovers. That what we give and give, it's not that it comes back to us double, that bread probably went stale pretty quick, those basketfuls, but there is enough. Even between us, you know, one of the great reasons to cook for lots of people at once, you know, house church, house meals, is because actually it's, it's cheap, a lot cheaper per head for us to, to feed 10 people than it is for two of us to feed five. There's enough, there's enough, and there's enough because Jesus is enough. It's really interesting the phrasing in Luke, isn't it? Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks for the bread, breaks the bread, and gives the bread. So that's in Luke 9, and then we skip ahead to Luke 22, and Jesus does the same. It's the same verbs in the same order. Jesus takes bread, and once he'd given thanks for it, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, and he gave it to the disciples. Same verbs, same order. Take, thank, break, give. How interesting is that? 
And that's where we can remember if we have this posture and this mindset that every meal is a gift. Every meal is a gift. It's a celebration. It's a mini Sabbath in our day, a chance to take rest. God made it so that we eat. God made it so that we cook. Maybe we should sometime, we should acknowledge that. Take time over cooking. Take time to eat together. Make it a real part of your day. And that can be difficult. I find it difficult. Sometimes you come home and think, oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? And it can become a chore. It's something that, oh, something we have to do. But actually some of the best parts of my day are cooking. <laughs> it's, it's 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, depending on what I'm making, to just be by myself. Or invite Charlotte into the kitchen, we just have some time in the kitchen, just doing not much else other than cooking. Charlotte gets annoyed at me because I'm, I'm one who watches the oven. And she gets annoyed because Christy could be emptying the dishwasher, she could be putting it, but I just, I'll stand there and just watch the oven. I love taking time to cook. Sometimes, for many of us, that could be the only time we get in the day. And to sit and eat, I'm challenged by that. I'm challenged by that research. I'm challenged by my own lifestyle of sitting and, and not engaging in conversation or not giving thanks for the opportunity that I've got to sit and have a meal with my family, with my wife. I'm challenged by that. And I'm excited though, that soon, very soon, I could do that with other people. Not because I don't like eating with Shaul, but because we get to invite other people into that. I love having more people as part of my family. And I've loved the occasions now that we can meet outside where I've been invited to someone else's house for a meal or for a drink or to share some crisps. It's just great. It's just great. It's fullness of life, isn't it? So really what I want to say is let's, let's start to get ready. Let's start to prepare ourselves. Let's do an audit. Have you got plates? Have you got cutlery? Have you got cups? <laughs> Who could you invite round? Who could you have over for dinner when you can? And I'm not trying to push you into doing anything that you don't feel ready to do or, or feel comfortable to do. Emerging from a pandemic, we're all going to feel slightly different about that. For me, I'm excited. I want it. If people say it's okay, I'm going to do it. But if that's not how you feel, then, then take it step by step. Think, what can you do? At work, can you have lunch with someone safely, with social distancing outside? It doesn't just have to be at home. Who can you make space for? In your calendar, in your heart, in your home. Let's make space for one another and for those around us as we emerge from this pandemic, that we can live in the fullness of the promise, the foretaste, reenact that banquet, Jesus at the center of our table. Every single day we can do that. And let's build community bring hope and get out in the mission field, the most fun, exciting mission field there is of eating together.